Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. And we're now exclusively part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Ingle, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU Chief of Staff. And wow, what a privilege today to welcome our guest for uh, for the show, Reverend Rich Bayotis. He is the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship, a large multiracial church with more than, what, 75 countries represented in Elmhurst, Queens. Rich is a speaker, an author, my goodness, has a Master of Divinity degree from Alliance Theological Seminary. Wow, such an honor to have you and to hear your voice today. So good to be here in warm Florida. It is warm yeah, it and, is and warm. heating up, and we love that around here. What was Queens when you left? Uh, yesterday was 74, That's today was 40. Okay, oh, so, all right. <laughs> so one little warm up and then now. That's right. Just let them know spring's coming. Love it. To, to start our conversation, Rich, you, you enjoy reading widely, preaching, writing on um, you know, contemporary spirituality, spirituality and, and kind of justice-related matters. How can, um, uh, how can believers uh, effectively promote, I think, the good news, the, the gospel through these topics and through these platforms to, to make impact and influence? Yeah, when I think about first contemplative spirituality, it is a slowing down of our lives mm-hmm. yeah. to be with God. And if there's any generation that needs to learn how to slow down, right. to move beyond distraction, uh, frenzied existence, yeah. it's this generation, mm-hmm. a generation that's perpetually distracted because of social media and the pace of life that we live. And so the gospel is good news that God's love is coming to us every moment. There's never mm-hmm. a moment in time when God's not moving towards the world in love. And the contemplative life is an opportunity for us to slow down to receive that love mm-hmm. poured out in Jesus Christ. And when it comes to justice and such, I, the same way, I think we live in a world where people are longing for a credibility of faith mm-hmm. that moves beyond just individual personal morality. They want to see how does that extend to our relationships and to the ways decisions are made on larger mm-hmm. public ways. And so to talk about justice often becomes an opportunity for us to bear witness to the comprehensive nature of the gospel. That is not mm-hmm. just this privatized, individualized uh, faith we're called to, but one that has lots of implications for our interpersonal, structural, institutional realities as well. All right. So, how does that work though with social media specifically? Right. So, it's kind of paradoxical on this side. Yeah. Social media is the thing that's causing us to be distracted, causing us to, the, but it's also the channel, the platform from which we can communicate these truths. What does that look like for pastors, leaders, as they're thinking about using their own social media channels? Yeah, I think we have to recognize the gift and the limit of Mm. social media and to be honest with ourselves about how we use it. You know, at the core of social media, the challenge of it is it often gives us this lie that we can live according to God's attributes. God is omnipresent, God's omniscient, God's omnipotent. And social media feeds us the lie that we can be everywhere at all times, Wow! that we can know all things, and we can use our words for the sake of power and dominance. And so I think we have to recognize the limit, the potential pitfalls of Mm. social media, Yet at the same time, recognize the gift that we live, uh, you know, when Thomas Friedman wrote the, the Lexus and the Olive Tree, and he talked about the democratization of technology, that we all have access to each other. And as a result of that, we are now in a smaller world, a global village. Um, we have to leverage that and mm-hmm. utilize that. But I think we do so knowing the pitfalls, the ways that sin gets entrenched into these realities like that. Uh, and so I think we do it with wisdom, with prudence, with community, and with rhythms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in the Lenten season right now. Sometimes yeah, it's a good yeah. opportunity to fast from certain things right. so that we can be properly engaged in it. 
Love it. You know, there are obviously lots of opportunities out there for people to serve, to volunteer, and learn about other cultures and embed in other cultures. How, however, a lot of people don't, you know, don't take that first step in many ways. What What do you think is the main thing that prevents people from going out into new communities and really plugging in and relationally connecting and serving? Uh, across cultures or just generally yeah. speaking? I think generally speaking, but I do think uh, in a specific way, cross-culturals. Yeah, so much of it is fear, you know, uh, stepping into a place that is unknown and to a setting that's unknown can mm-hmm. bring about lots of fear. Uh, and, and yet, I think part of it is, I'm not sure if we have allowed the gospel and the movement of Jesus to fully form the ways we think about belonging. So, uh, at New Life, we talk a lot about the call to incarnational listening. Yes. And Je- you know, this is John one fourteen. Jesus leaves the world, enters into another world, and allows himself to be formed by a new existence, a new community, a new space. And I think part of that is, what does it mean to leave my world? That's hard to think about leaving my world, to enter into someone else's world. And so it means teachability, vulnerability, mm-hmm. humility. I think these are the underlining virtues that can position us to it. And so we're not just talking about making a decision here and there. This is deep soul work right. that must take place before we can do that. And in terms of serving, you know, uh, I think so much of the barriers that exist in offering our lives and self-giving love to others flows because we have been so formed by a a culture around Mm -hmm. us. And so I think about, at our congregation, I say, we have to resist being three things. We have to resist being a stadium, a mall, and a subway car. And this is, I'm in New York City. Mm -hmm. So uh, a stadium is a crowd of uh, spectators. A mall is a crowd of consumers. A subway car is a crowd of anonymous people in close proximity to each other, Mm. um, uh, getting off at different destinations. And we are called to be more than just consumers, more than just spectators, more than just passengers on a subway car. We're called to live as the new family of Jesus, giving, offering self-giving love. But I think part of the resistance or the obstacle to actually live in this life is not truly recognizing the ways that we've been discipled and yeah. formed into this ethos and this culture around us that relegates my life to consumerism mm-hmm. and to spectatorship and such. Yeah. So how have you been able to kind of help your your church move beyond those things, right? We teach it, it's one thing, but what are some of the practices you've introduced to them, help them kind of move into, into that faith? Yeah, part of it is allowing ourselves to be shaped by the story of Jesus yeah. and the emphasis of Jesus. So for example, when someone becomes a new member of our church, um, we do something very specific with them. We give them something very specific. People used to ask, hey, what's the benefit to be, being a member at this church? Like we're American mm-hmm. Express or Costco or BJ's, whatever. And I, and I always had a hard time responding to that question. All right, maybe you get a discount at a church right, retreat. Right. You get to sit in a particular area in the church. And then I realized that's such a worldly way of right. thinking about membership in the yeah. community. And so we made a decision maybe seven, eight years ago to allow John 13 to be the the story and the image that would help our community think about not what I can get out of it, but what can right. I give to it. And it's the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Mm-hmm. And Jesus knew he was, he knew where he was going, and he gets up, he wraps a towel around his waist, gets a basin, and starts washing his disciples' feet. And so I thought, you know what, we're going to give every new member of our congregation a towel. 
and the towel it, it has a nice mm-hmm. logo it has our logo right, on right, so it's right, a nice right, yeah, it's a nice yeah, towel yeah. but it's us saying you're you are invited to this community not just so we can get out of it you're a member here because you get the privilege now mm-hmm. of serving our community and serving our city with all these other people there as well mm-hmm. so congratulations here's a towel yeah. and i think part of that is how do we allow the story of jesus how do we allow the symbols of the christian faith yeah to really begin to shape our imagination in very practical ways. And so that's one of the ways that mm-hmm. we try to get people to think outside of themselves. Well, I think it's such a hilarious question, especially as you hear talk about it, you know, what's the benefit of being a member? Like, does a baby ask their mom what the benefit is of being now your baby, like right. when they're born, right? Because we're right. a family, right? Yeah. You're born into this whole this whole um, situation and this whole new life and this new way of, of being and working with God. And so um, I think that's so talk to us a little bit more about how you've other ways you've kind of created community got people to think like hey this we're now part of a bigger bigger situation yeah thinking about community you know our our church has people from over 75 nations uh and so we think about community uh we have to be very creative about Mm -hmm. that uh there is um the 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 author of the title is escaping me but uh he writes about four different spaces of community public Mm -hmm. social personal private and uh, it's called The Search to Belong. Joseph Myers wrote a book this, uh, about the search to belong. And so when I'm thinking about community, I'm thinking about it on all of those four spaces in particular as a grid, as a framework to help people move from isolation and individualism into some form of community. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is ready for a smaller community, uh, but can we belong in various spaces and can we identify that and help people take the next step? Mm-hmm. Some people are just ready for community on a Sunday morning. Some people are ready for something in a midsize, something mm-hmm. small, maybe a one-on-one mentoring or yeah. intimate relationship there. So for us, we've tried to think about those four spaces and have with grace and with hospitality, invite people to listen to God mm. and identify what their next step might be in hopes that it would take them further in the journey so that they can be in a space where they can be known and know others. Uh, but I think there's no cookie cutter thing to this. Right. People are coming with their wounds, their trauma, their hurts. Not everyone's ready for the same level of community. But if we can create various spaces where you can belong, mm. uh, hopefully that can take you to the next level of actually being known and knowing others. Yeah. Rich, I'd love for you to, to uh, talk to us a little bit about your book, The Deeply Formed Life. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about what, what is in your heart with that and what inspired you to, to begin to share that with others. Yeah, some people write books out of pain. Some people mm-hmm. write books out of vision. I, I wrote this book out of pastoral concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I write it, first of all, as a pastor. You know, many people are familiar with Eugene Peterson. When Eugene Peterson translated the message, mm-hmm. it didn't begin with a project to translate the whole Bible or paraphrase the whole Bible. He began because he was a pastor of a small church and wanted his people to understand Paul in the book of Galatians. And so he wanted to write it in accessible, ordinary Mm. ways. And then one thing led to the next, and we have the whole message paraphrase. I wrote it because we have five distinct values in our church that have formed really the basis of our theological and formational convictions over 35 years. And I started getting so many emails from people about, hey, when you talk about contemplative life, Mm -hmm. when you talk about racial justice, when you talk about interior examination, sexual wholeness, missional presence, those are the five values Mm -hmm. I write about in the deeply formed life, what do you mean? And by the time I finished writing four, five, six paragraphs, I thought, 
I might as well just write a book. Right. Uh, it right. really helped yeah. me. So yeah. when someone says, what do you mean by that? Uh, chapter one is what I meant by mm-hmm. that. And so I wrote it, first of all, for my congregation mm-hmm. to help us really dive deeper into the values of our congregation. But more than that, I, I wrote it, I think, and it might, it might sound a bit, uh, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, too much to say here, but I, I wrote it because I thought that this book could be a, an important reframing of spiritual formation for this generation. Mm-hmm. And I want to resist what I call formational compartmentalization, mm-hmm. in which we say certain things belong to Christian faith, but not this. That racial justice stuff, that's good for urban context, multi-ethnic context, but not for a context that might be more monocultural, monolithic. And I'm saying, no, the gospel mm-hmm. needs to talk about this no matter where you're at. Same thing with prayer and contemplative rhythms, interior mm-hmm. examination, etc. I was trying to resist formational compartmentalization uh, to help people hold on to a very comprehensive gospel. Mm-hmm that can speak to the urgent areas of our society. And so, at the essence of it, that's why mm-hmm. I wrote the book for our community and then much larger for mm-hmm. emerging generations. You know, I love uh, you know, kind of one of your first chapters in the book. You talk about the contemplative life, but you really touch on the monastics and how yeah. they moved and how they kind of thought about what it is to live in community and how to have a faith in that and those kind of practices. Tell us a little bit of your story, how you became familiar with them and what kind of, I mean, if you could summarize the message of the monastic for today, right? We talked about the busyness and earlier. What would that What would that look like? Yeah, it is. I, I think I could summarize it in: I'm slowing down my life yeah. to be with others, to be with God in community. Mm-hmm. That is the call to monasticism. Now, I'm not a monk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have. I'm married. Right. I have a 12 year old daughter, a seven year old yeah. son. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing monastic about our home, uh, <laughs> and so it's loud. Yeah. It's it's all that there, and yet uh, I have been so drawn to it. The reason I got into it was because. Uh, I, I think over the years, there have been three monasteries that I met God in that mm. I come back to. The first one was my uh, 406 Elton Street in East New York, Brooklyn, where I grew up. And on the second floor of that house, my grandfather had a bedroom and a holy man of God who would read scripture, yeah. meditate, pray. And when I became a Christian, uh, I had lots of questions. And I would go to his bedroom, sit on the edge of his bed, shoulder to shoulder with questions, and I would learn about prayer, holiness, Mm. silence, solitude, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it was because of that encounter of just ordinary, slow conversations, I got a taste of really what monasticism is about. How do I create space so that God can fill my heart? The second monastery was a Franciscan monastery in Bear Mountain, New York. I was on a, a... spiritual formation retreat with my class. Mm. I went to a school called Nyack College. And uh, the professor had me at a monastery for six hours in one spot on the monastery and said, don't move, pray, here's your journal, and, you know, uh, you know, hope you meet God. And I met God in, in solitude and silence. And another monastery when I was 29 years old, about seven years after that. And I think those experiences have helped me to see the importance of of solitude, Mm -hmm. silence, reflection, meditation, contemplation. And um, it started in my grandfather's bedroom and has been cultivated and nurtured ever since. Love it. Wow. 
grateful for your voice for this conversation. Um, we're gonna we're gonna close our time together with our fire round. Uh, it's always kind of that uh, w- where we ask some quick questions, and you just kind of <laughs> from your gut give us an answer. And uh, and again, we want to grab some some practical and applicable pieces of advice from from your experiences for for those that are listening today. So I think we'll do three questions, Michael. I'll let you start off. For sure. If there was one thing that young Americans should get out of their lives right now, what would it be? Uh, One thing young Americans should get out of their lives. um, I think a a call that um, their sense of joy Mm -hmm. and happiness is found in loving others well Mm -hmm. and serving others well. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Question two, what are two or three things for uh, our listeners uh, that they should be doing daily to benefit their influence or their leadership or their ability to serve? Yeah, I I say this as a Christian pastor. I think number Mm -hmm. one, it's spending intentional time with God in prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, I think out of that place, paying attention to what's happening in their own souls, mm-hmm. um, navigating the anxieties, the anger, mm-hmm. the grief. I, I think the ways that we interact with one another, uh, to some degree, are often contingent upon our ability to identify what's happening beneath the surface of our own lives. Mm-hmm. And so, if we could take time daily to think through, what am I mad about? What am mm-hmm. I angry about? What am I anxious about? Uh, what am I sad about? I think that could really translate into mm-hmm. serving and connecting with others well. So uh, prayer, self-examination, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's really where we're getting at here. And um, and, and I think a, a good dose of delight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, the older people get, the more delight deficient they become. Mm. And, um, and so I think, how do we cultivate joy uh, yeah. in doing the things that give us life? I, I think th- those are three things that come to mind. Love it. That's good. Last question for our time together. What is the key to longevity? The key to longevity is uh, the key. I got to give one Mm. key. Or a couple. Uh, (laughs) Or a couple. What's a couple? What's a couple for making it to the end? I think uh, discerning our our gifts and our limits. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of my favorite people in the scriptures because he knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? I'm not this. I'm a voice. Mm -hmm. And so I think once we understand and get more clear on who we're not and who we are, that's a good recipe for longevity because we end up living a life God never called us to if we don't discern those questions wisely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, Rich, thank you. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us today and for this conversation. So grateful for your life wisdom, powerful wisdom mm-hmm. that yeah. we can uh, walk away with and apply to our lives so that we can live out our divine design mm-hmm. the way God has called us in our unique, uh, unique way. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I love it. And if you want to stay up to date with Rich, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram, one of my favorite Twitter and Instagram follows. I love, love the updates you shout, you uh, you post daily, but uh, at Rich Viotas, um, Viotas, that's uh, V-I-L-L-O-D-A-S. Um, and for more leadership content, you can check us out on Instagram and uh, 
that's Kent underscore Engel or Dr. Michael Steiner or at Twitter at Kent Engel. You can also visit our website, KentEngel.com. Uh, and if you're watching us on YouTube right now, that'd be a great time to hit the like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get more leadership content directly into your feed. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody. Thank you.